Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aaliyah. And I'm Curtis. And today we are joined by podcast friend Justin Roth from Workers. Good to be back. Thanks for coming on. We're happy to have you. Um, we kind of talked about a variety of things leading up to hitting record today. And I think we're just going to dive into, mm, I'm randomly going to pick the length of album cycles now in this day and age. Um, I know you've been thinking about this lately, Justin, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, where do we get started? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. We released an album on October 20th which uh, as of recording this, I believe is about seven or eight weeks ago. Um, I don't know, somebody can fact check me. But it it feels like an eternity ago. Like in, in music years, it's kind of like dog years. Like one month after an album comes out, it's it's almost like it's gone. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like everybody waits and the anticipation builds and the album comes out and everybody's, yeah, a new album, a new album. And, and it's kind of like a, a new season of your favorite tv show on netflix like you just binge it consume it eat it up for a week maybe two weeks and then it's over and then you wait a year for the next one so it's uh it's got me wondering if making full-length albums anymore makes any sense yeah curtis has probably got some opinions on that i do but um i want to hear Leah's first before i go into mine because she's a fellow musician here so i'm curious on her thoughts well i am you know and i think my my thoughts on whether or not it's uh, lucrative to make an album or not is it's kind of uh, beside the point in a way because I think there are ways to make it work. Um, and I think that creating an album as a body of work is much more satisfying to a lot of people as musicians and particularly in the metal scene. We tend to adhere to more of a old fashioned way of doing things. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm no expert in like modern music um, patterns and release patterns and such, but I don't think that releasing singles um, in that way, you're not really remedying the issue. Um, so what I think I see labels doing a lot now is, you know, you might have three or sorry, you might have uh, like five, five singles leading up to your album before you release the album. What do you think about those kinds of strategies? Okay. So I'm going to give my, my little thing on this here. So um, I think you guys are both kind of right on this. Um, I think there's a place for both full albums and singles. Um, but in my own opinion, just as a PR, what I've been noticing is if you drip the content out, over a longer period of time, people seem to get more interested in the final product. Okay, so I know you love Arch Enemy, Justin, so I'm gonna use them as an example, your favorite band in the whole world. Um, so like they started promo for their most recent album, which is blanking in my head the name of the album, but they started it like a year ahead of time. So they were releasing singles, I think they did something like six or seven singles, year, year and a half, and Flames did the exact same thing. And I'm, I'm a fan of In Flames. I like In Flames. Their new album I thought was fucking fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was great. It was probably the best one they've done in, since like 2000 or something like that. But so they started that promo cycle. It was like a year, year and a half uh, early. Like personally, as a fan, getting that content dripped out, I was like super stoked for that album when it finally dropped, even though I'd heard probably half of the album already. And I know that was the same with other people too, because people were talking about the album 
right up until the day it was released and people are still talking about it. I don't know if it's on any year end lists or anything like that. I haven't noticed it, uh, but that's probably my favorite album of the year so far. Um, and I mean, they just dripped it right out. I'm still listening to that album. I know lots of other people are still too, but I think that created a lot of interest for the full album, but they did it a year, year and a half in advance versus like five singles in like five, six months. This is my opinion. Just wanted to give that out. No, I agree. I think you're, you're seeing a, that is definitely more of a pattern. Uh, the last two Ozzy albums, you know, so it doesn't have to be a modern modern artist or a modern nope. musician. Ozzy's about as old as they come. And uh, yeah, he did the same thing. You know, the the previous one that had like the cool tracks with like Elton John and all that stuff. Yeah, he slow rolled that I thing for, for, yeah, probably close to a year. And then he did the same thing with this one. So I definitely, yeah. I see that as a, as a viable option. I think... I don't know if those were all written to be a part of an album, if they were written as singles and, and later compiled to be an album once the singles did well. I really don't know, like, you know, obviously the behind the scenes of how other bands or other musicians are doing it. But it definitely seems like the, I guess, the the current method or the old method of like two singles, full album. Like, I don't know. It seems like the time and effort that it takes to write 10 songs or however many songs you put on a full length album, if they're not singles, they're they're basically b-sides and yep. like you're you're diehard you're loyalist fans the ones that are listening to you anyway the ones that are buying your stuff anyway they're the ones listening to the b-sides you know so it's kind of like you're writing them for like your 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 main main fans i guess or your loyalist fans but i just don't know how many miles you're getting out of say like the extra five songs versus maybe releasing an ep or you know dripping singles every I don't know. It seems like mainstream guys are doing them like on an eight week to, to 10 week cycle. Yeah. I don't about know. That. Yeah. yeah. I think it also depends upon the genre too. Like, um, Aaliyah, you're more familiar with the power slash symphonic genre. Are they doing the same thing? Like those are usually like album based genres. Like, are they generally doing that too? Or like with the single trip or no? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, not as probably not quite as many, okay. but I mean, like Camelot, for example, uh, they right. they had at least three, I think, singles before that album came out. And oh, I would have to look at that actual schedule. Um, but generally speaking, I think that having your singles be a part of something larger, like an album, it, it gives you the best of both worlds. It helps people to have something in the middle while they're waiting for your album to come out, but it also gives them something to chew on that's larger and more substantive. It helps them to feel like all the little pieces belong to a larger story. Um, and I think artists can do it either way they wish, depending on what their goals are. Um, I just still think there's definitely value in having albums. I think they do hold more weight than an EP. So yeah. I guess I guess the consensus between the three of us is that you could do the full album as long as you have a bunch of singles leading up to it to prevent the, uh, you know, forgetting about it. Correct? Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if forgetting about it's the right right way to look at it. But yeah, it seems like. Um, well, they do. Everybody forgets about it two eight they, weeks they, later. You're right, dude. They, like, they kind of do. I don't. I don't know. Forget about it, sorry. but it, it is. It's kind of like uh, I don't know. I thought it was out if, last if, year at this point, dude. Like seriously, it, and I it, it you. feels like it. It really feels yeah. like it. Well, you know, obviously when when the touring ramps up, you know, it get it kind of gets yeah. unearthed. It, it gets a bump, you know. So I mean, you get the tour bump, and I don't know. 
Yeah, it's just yeah. goofy. It just feels like uh, I don't know. It's a whole lot of effort. And I'm sure people that, you know, that do TV shows feel the same way, but it's a whole lot of effort. And then you just throw it out in the world and just as fast as it came, it's gone. I don't know. It just feels crazy. I don't know. I, I have a question if you know know the answer to this, Justin. So um, since you're on a major label, technically, um, you should, I would hope you know the answer to this. So what do you guys do with your Spotify and stuff like that after the album gets released? Like you guys, are you guys still focused on it? Like the label and you guys or like, is everybody like what happens? Cause that's the main thing everybody's looking at. So. Oh man, there's a good conversation to start. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that we're very good at ever focusing on Spotify. Um, you know, we're, we're getting better about it, but yeah, I mean, I think that that that's a constant, you know, you still want to sell the album. I think at this point in time, and this goes back to the same kind of same thing. It's like physical album sales. Obviously you're going to get your pre-sales from your diehards. You're going to get like the release day uh, push, you know, and whatever goes out to record stores. And yeah. And then I think after that, like selling physicals is pretty much like on the road at shows, you know, you're only going to sell those to like new fans at that point. Any of your existing fans that want it probably already have it, you know, eight weeks in. So at that point, yeah, I'm sure the label, because they always want to recoup, you know, they want to make money on whatever's happening with you. If they know they're not going to sell physicals after, you know, the first eight, 10 weeks, then yeah, I guess streaming's the next thing to push, you know? So, I mean, seems like the big focus now is on, it, it, it's on making content that drives the Spotify. It's almost like you need reels, you need to make, and it seems like still images are kind of dying too, you know? So on social media, it's like, you got to have motion, you got to have live shots. So it seems like for the next, uh, I don't know, the next few months, it's it, it's like the album's out. Now, what are we going to do to remind people that the album's out? So it's like you got to stay in people's spaces. You got to remind them and you got to make sure you put that Spotify link in every post or, you know, in, in my case, just, you know, being the contrary and being the uh, Spotify hater that I am, I always put the Apple Music link in there. I try to put the Amazon link in there. But yeah, it's like driving that streaming. So I think that's that's the way that you're going to at least stay on people's minds. And, uh, and I guess the more people that consume the album after it's out, the more likely are, you know, come to a show and you know, I don't know. I think it's all related. I don't I think agree. you can ever truly stop promoting your Spotify and, nope. and your streaming. I think they, they sort of have, in my opinion, anyway, I think that just the Spotify monthly listener count, the almighty Spotify monthly listener count, the number, you know, the numbers just came out. We just had our, our year end wrap up. It's like the time of year that all thrash metal musicians fucking hate because you're reminded of how poorly your little corner of the metal universe is doing. But um, yeah, it's like you're held hostage by that number. If you don't promote your Spotify and if you put your efforts elsewhere, even if it's YouTube, even if it's places that have like a metric, no one looks at that metric. Like you are forced to constantly push to Spotify so that promoters, you know, so that booking agents, so that anybody who's looking at you from the outside world whether we like it or not, like everybody has just become a slave to the Spotify number. It's like, you want to know how a band's doing? You want to know how popular they are? Like, what's the first fucking thing you're going to look at? Spotify number, you know? So I think you're, they've got you by the balls, whether you like Spotify or not. If you're a musician, you absolutely like have to put Spotify at the forefront just to keep your numbers up. Yep. I agree. Um, I have a question for Aaliyah because Aaliyah has been very, well, her band has been very successful with keeping the Spotify numbers up. Like you guys have average, been averaging like eight to 12,000 and you guys have been out since what, February, 2022, 2021, 22, 2022. 
So you guys are almost two years in and you're still doing like eight to 15,000 or 12,000 or something like that per month. Um, and you guys aren't exactly a commercial genre either. So can you kind of speak about this and how you guys are doing it? Cause those are good numbers, dude. Thank you. I wish I knew exactly how to advise other people to get the same success that we've gotten, but I mean, largely it's just that we actively started using TikTok in um, the beginning of this year. And we had some clips go um, pretty viral for us. Um, and, you know, one of our clips got maybe 2 million views or something like oh, that. Wow. And then, um, you know, we consistently, you know, upload. When we're consistently uploading, you know, we'll get the videos that get like 5,000, 7,000, 10,000, you know, here and there. Um, hit or miss and it just kind of helps to reboost the numbers directly from TikTok and we never mentioned Spotify we never link to Spotify it's just that that's where people go when they hear a clip of music and they're like what's this song and they want to check it out they check it out on Spotify and um, so I think it's just a matter of getting your name out there. I think TikTok is a great tool if you can figure out how to use it. And you, the thing with TikTok is that it is image-based, right? So if you're a bunch of 40-year-old guys, um, you got to figure out a way to make what you're doing either funny or visually appealing in some way that's going to attract people's attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. Um, do you ever look at your analytics on Spotify? Like, do you know what your demographic breakdown is? Like where your streams are coming from and like who your, who, who your biggest demographic is? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but I do look at that. Um, no, I'm just curious. I mean, is it, are you getting, is it Europe? Is it US? Is it, you know, so where let me pull this up. I think it's mostly US. Yeah. And United States is our top demographic. Um, and it has been, um, for I think the full most of the year so and the thing is with TikTok it does target you it targets your content to where you live Mm -hmm. so um if you are a band that's based out of UK you're probably going to get more viewership in UK um so it makes sense that that would be correlated if most of our listenership is coming from TikTok yeah that's cool. That's awesome, actually. And I'm I'm one of those listeners every month, by the way. Oh, thank you, Justin. Appreciate that. So to get back to this then, so Aaliyah, what would you say, like since you guys have been able to I know you said you don't really have many tips on it, but you do you do a lot of things in order to stay at the forefront of people's mind. And Justin, you do as well. I'm just picking on her right now because she's did it because because she's better at Spotify than I she, am. She, I didn't want to say that, but you, you said it. You said it, not He's me. He's totally better at it than I am. It's all good. You said it, not me. Uh, it's not me. You know, I have my whole band behind well, me. Well, yeah, of I, course. Your band. Yeah. I mean, you guys, James, you guys a songwriter yeah. of the band. He yeah. is the videographer and he yeah. creates the video content that we put on our TikTok. And if I had to say, suggest types of content to people, I would say, um, use live footage with bright colors, moving lights, um, 
that's been the type of content that's done the best for us. Um, and then you can combine that sometimes with memes if it works. Like the one that went viral for us was with the John Cena dancing meme on top of our uh, one of our live clips. And it did super well. Research your hashtags and try to use the ones, try and pay attention to the ones that do well for you and uh, keep using those. I don't know. Those are the best tips I could offer and post consistently. What I've yeah. heard is that you should post the uh, consistently as in like you don't have to post every day, but if you post twice a week, you should always post twice a week. You know, try to maintain the same pattern from week to week. Yeah. Cool. And um, one thing that we do, I don't know if this is advisable, but we definitely go through seasons. Like we were posting very consistently for a long time and then we didn't post for a while and then we post it consistently for a while again. So if it's just too much to do it constantly, you can plan in like segments of time where you're going to be consistent and then take a break. Now, I wanted to talk about Justin on his Facebook strategy because he's good at Facebook. But before we do, just out of curiosity, did your numbers get affected when you guys weren't posting as much, Aaliyah? Um, Probably. Okay you, mean, okay, you don't know. Okay, that's fine. I didn't I didn't keep a microscopic look on that. Of course. Okay. Just was curious if you noticed like a big fluctuation or something like that. But we should probably talk talk about Justin because he always keeps workers in front of people's faces with his hmm. uh stuff on uh Facebook. Why don't you go over that? Because I think that's a key thing. Well, I think Facebook and Instagram are like dinosaurs now. So I mean well, you're not on TikTok, dude. You use Facebook. No, we're all not, the time. man. I will I won't do it. You know, at one point in time, Murphy said he was gonna do our TikTok. He never did our TikTok. Um, you guys aren't I don't, work you on know, TikTok. we maybe we'll I don't know. I'll never say never. We have been getting better at using the reels, and we have been getting a lot better at making videos. And uh shout out to um Philip uh winners of the band Tyrant. Like he kind of kicked me in the ass over it a little bit. He's really good. Like if you want to see somebody who uh, who just consistently posts and hustles and like nonstop promoting whether it's like a merch item or what? But he but he makes videos for everything. Like the dude could be like, "Hey, we got a new T-shirt," and he gets a fucking video. You what, know, what's like, his dude. name? I'm looking him up while you're talking. Uh, well, just look up the band Tyrant. Okay, like like the Tyrant that we toured with, not not like the old guys Tyrant. Um, oh, Tyrant Metal, I think is what I want. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think it's Tyrant Official on yeah. Uh, yeah. Found him. from yeah from Lansing. They do a really good job. Like Philip does a good job. But yeah, he turned me onto this app that just like very quickly. It's a paid app, but I don't care. It's like ten bucks a month or something. But it's like the super quickly edit like really good looking videos. And there's like templates already made for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there where you can just. It's almost idiot proof. You just kind of like pick what you want. It'll fancy it up for you, and you can like you know like Leo was saying, we'll, we'll fudge the audio and like drop in like an album track. When we did our uh, our continental announcement. I used live footage from a show in Mexico and it wasn't even the song that I dropped in there. It's just, if you put enough motion and enough bullshit in there, you can drop whatever song you want. You can't tell what the hell I'm playing. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, I think that stuff definitely works. And the other thing is like, we play to a click track live. So anytime we have to sync something up, we play everything at album speed anyway. So it, it like literally Same, just syncs. Yeah. yeah, perfectly. But um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, it is changing. You know, I think that videos are becoming a lot bigger part of it than it used to be. But um, I think it's just kind of like the brand voicing has to be consistent. And I know Aaliyah can appreciate this because like we both work in some form of advertising. But um, it has to sound like it's coming from the same person over and over again. And I think you can kind of sniff out the bands that 
have somebody else posting for them. I think it comes off as like kind of contrived or scripted. And um, yeah, you need to have that consistent, whether whether you're a, a serious band or a funny band or whether you're just like a you're a humble down to earth band, whatever it is, like you can't you can't jump from like being like a joker band that posts funny memes all day to being like a shit posting band to be in you know whatever like you got you got to sort of figure out what resonates with your audience and for us it seems to just be like being genuine and being honest like that seems to be our brand like we're just we're not the pizza thrash like pizza party band we're not the uh you know we're obviously not a bunch of like 20 year old you know dri fans like you know so our brand is is kind of like a straightforward serious you know we take ourselves kind of serious good photography and all sort of stuff i don't know if that's good or bad nowadays we could debate that but um yeah just just connecting with our fans on a level where i feel like i talk to them as if they were you we're, we're having a conversation right here and i think of that as i'm typing a post or whether you know on instagram i keep them a little shorter but I'll normally cross promote them and I will just change the captions. I'll just shorten them on Instagram, but it's normally like kind of the same message shortened down a little bit for Instagram and just genuine. Like if I have a thought, if it's something I don't post something just to post something. If it's something that I think they should, they should know, or whether I think it's um, something that they'll enjoy. Like I make the content for them. I don't make the content for me. I don't make the content for the algorithm. Like I just make it to communicate with the fans, let them know that we appreciate them. Let them know that we're alive is the big part of it. And uh, if it drives traffic, good. But as you can tell, like, I don't constantly hound people to like go to Spotify and do that sort of stuff. I don't care. Like, hopefully they do. But um, we'll, more take, than anything, we'll tell yeah. people in the show notes to check out Workers on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm posted somewhere, right? Now, um, let's move on to talking about something else. Um, the state of thrash today. Mm. Um, you're in it. So tell us what's going on. I mean, it's kind of doom and gloom. Like, I don't want to turn this into like a negative podcast, but it's not looking good for us. I mean, thrash metal as a whole, we, you know, we're losing young bands left and right. They're, they're, they're running from this thing like a burning building. Um, you know, in Europe, it was, um, you had um, ultraviolence, you had Dust Bolt, you had, um, I'm missing one, Lost Society. They were all out. They all kind of like changed their sound, ran from it. Yesterday, a young band that I really like, and I really like what they did with the new song, but a band Shrapnel is another one from the UK. I think Curtis is hip to them. They dropped a really good single, totally not a thrash metal song. I don't know. It seems like um, if you look at the Spotify numbers, I hate to treat them as the end-all be-all. I hate to do the thing that I hate other people doing, but um, we don't have many bands in the genre at all. We have no young bands over a million, over a million monthly listeners, not one. Our biggest band, if you want to call them young, it's funny. Thrash metal is an old man genre, but like Municipal Waste, those dudes have been a band for 20 years. We're calling them a young band. Those dudes are probably like nearing 50 years old. They got to be 50. Yeah, yeah. I mean, awesome dudes, by the way. But yeah, they're at like 675K. And that's like our our biggest best young thrash metal bands that's not saying a whole lot for thrash metals numbers when you look at all these young metalcore bands that came out like within the last five years and they're all pulling over a million and we we don't have a single one that isn't a legacy band and even including legacy bands i've got a couple notes here from a post i made that pissed a lot of people off about this very subject 
Anthrax, Testament, Megadeth. That's who we have over a million. And it's unbelievable that that's what we've got. Like Creator's not over a million. Exodus isn't even close to a million. What about Sepultura? Uh, I don't think I have them on my list, but we could we could look real fast. But I don't think they're over a million either. It's uh it's it's wild to me. Like bands as big as like Death Angel, I think of them as a big band or Overkill. I think Overkill's like a really big band. Overkill had two hundred fifty. Like they had less than municipal waste somehow. So yeah, it's um it's wild. Now I don't know if that's going back to the demographic. I don't know if that that's because like the thrash metal demographic. If we're being honest, it's like. 40 to 60 year old dudes who maybe don't even use Spotify. It's probably why we do pretty good with album sales. It's like a double-edged sword. You know, it's like we sell our albums sell well, but then our streaming numbers kind of suffer as a result. I don't know, but yeah, it just seems like, you know, you can look down the list, kill switch, engage parkway drive, lamb of God architects, like all these bands. And they're all in like the two, 3 million, 4 million, you know, Gojira 2 million, you know, Spirit box, which is crammed down our throat like every 15 minutes by the disingenuous media complex, fucking 2.1 million. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know why it is, but like we are just not pulling numbers. If you look at our representation currently on like major festivals, it's almost non existent. Like maybe Testament, you might see like one thrash metal band on like a huge poster with like 100 bands on it and they're playing like a side stage. You know, it's, it's wild. It's like we went from being the 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 top of the food chain to being like a we're, we're the new ska like we're we're fucking i don't know we're like the we're like the mustard plug of fucking metal right now i don't know i don't know dude these numbers are pretty similar for symphonic metal i mean yeah we got our big bands but there's not that many mid the mid-sized bands the the bands that are up and coming they're you know a hundred thousand two hundred thousand you know mm-hmm. it's not I don't know if we can use a metric of a million monthly listeners as like, why is that your metric I don't know. of success? Yeah. Um, what, what is success? You know, that's a question in metal. Like right now, what, yeah. what even is success? I don't know. It's, well, what uh, is success for you? I mean, that's important to, yeah. to, to ask yourself as an artist. Yeah. It's like an existential question there. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know what success is. Success to me is like having fun and writing music that doesn't suck. You know, I guess that last part's up for debate, but um, yeah, and I think that's the main thing. At the end of the day, like none of us are making any money doing this. So if you don't enjoy the music that you write, and I think this speaks to sort of like the backlash I'm watching some of these young bands have for changing their sound a little bit. It's like none of us are getting rich doing this shit. Anybody that calls it a cash grab when a band like maybe inserts clean vocals or does something to like grow their audience, it's not a cash grab. What, what cash are they grabbing? You know, there's no cash for any of us to grab. So it's like, if they like it, I don't think it's the fans place or anybody's place to tell any particular band, like what to play and what to sound like, you know, it's their art. You know, I don't like go to my favorite artist's house and tell them how to paint, you know, like I'm not going to tell a band how to write a song, you know? So it's, it's, it's an interesting conundrum okay. to be in. So I had this come up recently because I listened to Scott Stapp's new single, mm-hmm. which has a ton of, it almost sounds like T-Pain at parts, like so much. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. Not auto auto tune. It's not the correct term for it. It's so much tuning, pitching, yeah, yeah. whatever. It sounds almost like T-Pain. There were comments on the YouTube video, people talking about it. There's so much processing on his voice, blah, blah, blah. It was clearly um, intentional to make it sound digitized like that. Um, 
So people commenting say, let the man do what he wants. Mm-hmm. What about something like that? Like nobody's I mean, telling, nobody's trying to control him, but they don't have to like it. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, you can, it, it's almost, it, it's almost like the freedom of speech thing. It's like, you can say whatever in the hell you want. People can still get mad at you for it. You know, it's, um, I think music's the same way. I think like as an artist, you can do anything you want to do with your music. It doesn't mean people are going to like it, you know? So I think, if you want to like go out on that, that limb and take that big chance, I think sometimes it really pays off. I think we've seen, you know, a lot of cases of a band, you know, maybe changing their direction a little bit and and it's the best thing they ever did for their careers. And you've seen it happen the exact opposite way where they go out on a limb and then they lose all their old fans without making any new ones. So I think it has to be a calculated risk. You know, I think even with what we just did with confession, which I didn't think was that big of a departure, but you know, we have a vocalist who can sing. We let him sing. And um, you would have thought that we committed the most blasphemous act of all times. Like people were so pissed off that how dare a thrash metal album not be 55 minutes of a dude yelling at me, you know? So it's like, I don't know. You can't make everybody happy at the end of the day. The only person you need to make happy is yourself. You're the one that's got to live with it. You know, in, in 30 years, when you're sitting back looking on your career and thinking about what you do with your life, you know, you invest so much time, effort, money, you make so many sacrifices to do this, you better be happy with what you did. You know, you better be able to live with yourself, look yourself in the mirror. So I think if you intentionally change your sound to try to grab more fans, like if it's just very purposeful, like I'm going to sell out, whatever the fuck sell out means. Yeah. It's like people are probably going to sniff it out anyway. So yeah, you better, you better do it right. You know, I do admire bands and there's been a lot of them throughout time. Bring Me the Horizons, probably a really good example. That's a that's a current band. I love that, like, and I'm not saying I'm the biggest fan of this band, but I love that every album, like, you have no idea what those dudes are going to give you. You know, it's like maybe they're going to be heavy this album. Maybe they're going to make some weird emo rap album. I don't know, but it's cool. It keeps you kind of guessing. You know, it's not they're not stagnant. Um, you know, if you look throughout time, like, I think we're all old enough to to remember like AFI being a punk rock band. You know, it's like AFI was doing Misfits covers and like they were like straight edge hardcore kids like playing punk rock music. And then they were like a big scene band and they had some really huge hits that were on like, you know, TRL and shit. Now, I mean, you listen to modern day AFI, like you wouldn't know what it was if you didn't see a name on it. They've reinvented themselves many times. And what's cool is that their fan base has gone with them. You know, and I love to see stuff like that. You know, even with like Bring Me, it's like they're fans. They're just along for the ride. They're kind of like, at this point, it's like they're in on it, you know? It's like, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to get. It's, it's exciting. So I think that's one of the things that thrash metal struggles with. And I know Craigan's been on, you guys have had Craig and Lum on, and he's talked about this. And, you know, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of us are kind of tired of, and I think this is what hurts thrash metal. I think we're tired of like the very stringent rules. You know, it's like if your guitar's tuned any lower than, you know, D standard, or if you, you know, if you use a certain effect or if you have, layered vocals it's like all these things it's like this gatekeeper bullshit like somebody got together and and wrote the thrash metal rule book and it's like the second you deviate from it they want to like move you into this little side category it's like oh your dude sang now you're a power thrash band oh you're you you tremolo picked a riff for too many measures now you're a death thrash band you know it's like it's all this dorky shit and i don't know who the hell's keeping track of these rules but like I think it's that, man. I think like that stuff just sucks. And I think like thrash metal's fan base for whatever reason, I've played a lot of genres of music over the years, like ranging from like 
you know, pop music to to this, you know, and everything in between. This this it's cool that they're like rabid and like passionate about it, but I think they're almost like a little too passionate to the point where like they they just don't want to fucking deviate at all. Like they're just they're very set in their ways. They know what they they want. As a young band, it makes it really tough. And I think this is something that a lot of young bands probably run into. And you probably run into it as well. It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you write the thing that they want you to write, if you play by the rules and you sound like all of your favorite bands, then you get crapped on for not reinventing the wheel. But if you deviate from the plan and you do something different, you get crapped on for not playing by the rules. So it just goes back to like, make yourself happy. At the end of the day, you're never going to make everybody happy. Absolutely. You have to be true to yourself. Do what you want to do. Make the music that you want to make. Yep. So Until yeah. AI starts making all our music for us. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, a lot of it makes some music for me. It takes some, some work off of my hands, maybe. I don't know. Well, I wanted to just continue on this for a second, if Aaliyah is okay before we change the subject. Go on. Okay, um, I think you made a very good point with a band like Bring Me the Horizon, for example, because they started out as a deathcore band, and then I don't even know what the fuck they are now. I, I, I yeah. honestly don't. I don't know. I mean, they're something now, but they're very. They managed to stay popular throughout the entire time. Um, I don't think they've really been accused of selling out too much. I'm not too big into them, but I. I haven't followed them too closely but i don't think they have they just seem to have gotten more popular well a band like metallica has been consistently accused of being of selling out even though they went back to their sound what 10 years ago 12 years ago at this point 13 i don't remember now um so roth what do you think is the reasons why how or how do you think a band can do something like a bring me the horizon authentically without turning into like a metallica type thing where you're selling out I think it goes back to like different sets of rules for different genres. I think fair, but you, it's similar because they were deathcore. Well, no, that's they, what. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were kind of like on that heavy side of like genty metalcore. True, true. I, I think this is an interesting topic, and if you if you watch any of like Finn McKinty's videos, he talks about this a lot. Uh, metal in particular has a has a very weird relationship with with monetization like if you talk about money at all if you talk about income streams if you talk about anything the the it's like success is a is a dirty word in heavy music for some reason the second you have any success you're a sellout it doesn't matter if it was like organic or not you're a sellout and i think that's only true with like a lot of the traditional metal genres i think if you look at and this might be why they're having the success they're having but if you look at kind of like the modern metalcore scene if you look at these bands like wage war and some of these other dudes that just like they run their merch their merch game they run it like a like a pop-up sneaker shop or something like they're they're all about the hustle and they're like unapologetic about like new merch every couple of weeks and like new designs and limited runs and like yeah i don't know like nobody accuses those bands of selling out maybe it's because selling out was always the goal you know maybe for us it's a little different because it's like you get into it and it's like you're playing this raw music and people are emotional about it. And it's like, you know, you don't start out with a lot of fans. You know, it's a long, hard climb, you know, in traditional metal. And it's um, most of us never reach the top. So it never matters, you know. So I think that it's like the very few that get through, then you're a sellout, you know. There, there's, I don't, I don't know. I think fans kind of, I, I've experienced this a little bit just with a little 
the crumb of success that we've had. I don't want to talk like we're a successful band. We're not, but um, you know, we've accomplished some things and it's like every, every, every wrong you go up the ladder, you get new haters for like new reasons. You know, it's like when you start touring, now you're too good for your hometown. You know, when you start turning down local shows every weekend, because like, you're not a band that does that anymore. Like you're trying to be more serious. Now you're, you're too good for your fans, you know? So then you sign to a label and now you're a rock star, you know? And then you, you do this, that, and the other, then you promote too hard. You try too hard. Your photos are, you know, whatever. It's such a weird thing where like people get attached to you early on and it's like, they don't want you to outgrow them. I think they're more afraid that you're going to outgrow like the venues that that you play and they're not going to be able to see you for $5 every weekend. I, I don't know what the deal is, but it's, um, I understand where they're coming from. You know, like you get a band to where they're going. Like you kind of feel like you had like a part in that. And they did, you know, like in all fairness, they really did without our fans, we wouldn't be anywhere. But it's um, to me, like when I find a young band and I see them start to like go up the ladder and I see them having success, I'm fucking stoked for that band. That's like, I want the, I want the best for them. I'm like, fuck yeah, dudes. Like go get it. You know, I I don't mind. Like if you get to the point where I got to pay, you know, 40, 50 bucks to see your band play, like fucking awesome, man. Like you did it, you know, and I'll gladly pay the 40, 50 bucks. But um, yeah, I think there's like, I think there's something to be said about like fans that just want to like make sure they never have to pay the 40 bucks to see your band. I don't know. It's, it's weird. I can't explain it because I'm not one of those people, but there seems to be a lot of them out there. I will say that there is an element of being able to be close to the band at a live show, you know, like when you've been, when you've seen a band at like a house of blues and then suddenly they're playing a soldier field or some stadium, it's not the same experience. Yeah. And you have to share it with way more people and you're not as close and there's not a chance to possibly talk to the band and, there's a lot about the experience that's different and people might miss that, you know, but I do think that other genres might be less the way that way that you're saying the, that the thrash fan base tends to be. I do think that there is a growing sentiment of knowing that bands need to have some level of success in order to even be able to keep doing what they're doing. And there's a level of understanding reached that oh well I want this band to succeed because I want them to still make music and if they don't get enough success they're going to disappear yeah you just nailed it on the head and I, and I think maybe that is why I see it the way I see it and why so many I think good fans do see it that way how many of your favorite bands over the years especially if you're into like really underground music how many of them like go on their first tour and break up you know or their third tour or their 10th tour and they came home broke and they're still, you know, they're, they're three, four albums into their career and they're still not making any money. And like, we're not getting any younger, you know, it's like as much as I love going out and touring and doing all this stuff. It's like when you, when you become an adult and you're still doing this shit, it's like those bills are waiting for you when you get home, you know? So people do have to understand, like if your favorite bands don't make money, if you want to keep the, you know, treating success, like it's such a bad thing, like those bands are going to break up and then you got nothing, you know? So it's like, you can either see your 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 favorite you know local band. You can see them become like a touring act, and you don't get the the sixty minute headlining set in the small bar anymore. You get like the thirty five minute set 
because they're open for somebody else, but like be proud of them, be happy for them, you know, be glad that maybe they're going to be able to pay their bills when they get home and not, you know, sleep on the sidewalk. So yeah, I, I never understood that mentality. Like all my, all my favorite hardcore bands growing up, all of them broke up because they didn't make any money. So I don't know. there's no, there's no people with this, like this badge of honor of like being underground. Like people always talk about how cool it is to be underground. Underground is like code for broke. Like if we're being honest, underground means you're not making any fucking money. Like it, it's cool for a while, but at, at a certain point in time, like as much as no one wants to talk about it, it's like the, the elephant in the room, like every band has to make money or they're not going to survive. Like period. Yep. Yep. I mean, sure. There's people that want to do that hustle culture forever and work a full-time job and be in a band full-time and do other things on the side. And, but most of us aren't built to sustain that kind of lifestyle and you've got to find a balance. And the thing that helps with finding that balance is people supporting your band and fans really are the lifeblood of any band and it couldn't be said more emphatically that that is the case. And so, yeah, both Justin and I, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of either of our bands. Thank you so much for what you do for us. And uh, just by even streaming our music, talking about us to your friends, whatever you do, we appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Curtis, you're being awfully quiet, man. What do you think? I'm just letting the two experts talk right now. You guys are you guys are the experts. You guys are in the band. I'm just a publicist. I'm gonna I'm just listening. How many bands have you seen in, in all your years that you know didn't make any money and went away? You know? It's oh lot. All of them. Yeah. Well, no, not all of them for sure. But I mean, like just guys in your scene. I mean, like, how many people have you referred to me over the years that, you know, now they're off having babies and whatever right i mean it's the way it is yeah. right so yep i could probably think of like a dozen bands off the top of my head just in like the last 10 years that i've known you or whatever that have split up just due to that right there so yeah well that's what i say you know it's a big sacrifice you know it's like mm -hmm. a lot of us don't have hell i don't have kids for a number of reasons but like the number one reason i don't have kids is because i do this shit you know yeah. It's like, I, I'm not delusional. I know that I don't want to like spend a half a million dollars to like raise some kid when I'm trying to like go out and screw off of my friends, you know? Exactly. That's the reason I like sabotaged my awesome career that I had going. <laughs> you know, like you just set it aside, you know? It's like, I don't know. You, you, you make a hell of a lot of sacrifices to do this. You know, the bands that survive, unfortunately, you know, like what Aaliyah was saying, you almost have to embrace the hustle a little bit. You got to have side hustles. You got to have like, at least some sort of a passive revenue or a job that allows you to take off whenever you want. You know, you have to set yourself up to succeed because, you know, even when you start touring, even when you start making a little money, you're not going to like replace the income of an actual job. You know, nobody is looking at a band like mine and saying, Hey kid, we'll give you guys a hundred thousand dollars a piece to go on tour next year. Like, no, it's not going to happen. But um, yeah, for all the sacrifices you make, you know, it's uh, it, it kind of has to go somewhere. You know, if you, I don't know how, what the lifespan is of a band nowadays. It seems like a lot of them are sticking it out longer and longer. You know, you're looking at these, you know, quote, young bands, you're looking at bands like Havoc and like we talked about Municipal Waste. I mean, these bands are like two decades in now, you know, a lot of the young thrash bands. I mean, hell, Warcurse just hit 10 years, which is insane to me to even say that out loud, like 10 years now. And like, we're just now to the starting line, you know, metal has kind of always been a game of longevity. It mm -hmm. seems like you almost have to stick it out and like 
wait for the competition to drop like flies. Like we're just waiting around for a bunch of like 60 year old dudes to retire so we can have our turn, you know, but, um, you know, how many sacrifices do you have to make in 10 years? And at what point in time does it start to pay off? You know? Yeah. You got to do a lot. I mean, well, the other thing too, though, is that even the, a lot of the musicians that are full-time and stuff, they do, they do a lot of merch sales or like you said, or they do like lessons or whatever like that too. I mean, it's all full-time music, but it isn't necessarily just directly off the money from the music. Right. So. Yeah. I've got a friend who uh, he had a really cool gig. There's a, he hangs out at the uh, the record store where I hang out at all the time. And he's uh, he's playing auxiliary guitar with ZZ Top right now, which is like such a cool fucking gig for this dude. It's one, you know, he loves awesome. a band. But uh, yeah, he's got his band. He's in a cover band. He's in some other band that he fills in for a paycheck. He's in this, this band that tours was, you know, this dude's in like five bands. And all he really wants to do is make his like his project band, which is like a, I, I sent them to you, uh, Electric Indigo really really cool band yeah. but, you know they're kind of they're, they're like young kids and um and they're just getting their start but this dude he's like teaching lessons he's doing anything that dude can do to get paid for having a guitar in his hand like even just working at the music store like he's he's all about it you know he's got like 85 gigs in music right now and i just love seeing it but um yeah it's i mean hell even craigan gives guitar lessons you know reese scruggs gives you know there's a lot of dudes that are like monster players that you wouldn't think you can just like hop on skype and hang out with for an hour and like get a guitar lesson but that seems to be i think jeff loomis was given guitar lessons at one point in time so that's a pretty good hustle i'll tell you the best hustle out there right now are these dudes that are selling stage played guitars have you seen this this phenomenon i don't know if i've seen it but i i have no i i have no idea what you're talking about dude it's this is this is nuts all right talk about like embracing the hustle and like merch sales there's I've, i've not seen anything better than this lately uh, Scott Ian's doing it. Gary Holt's doing it. Uh, Zach Wild's doing it. So, you know, kind of like your guitar hero type dudes that have like big fan bases. They are selling guitars that they play every night on stage. So like they'll get guitars from whoever their sponsor is, ESP or whoever. And they'll get like the base model version of whatever their signature thing is. You know, so they'll get like a, I don't know. I don't know what a base ESP, maybe it's a thousand bucks or something like that. And they get them at cost, of course they'll play like one song on the thing and then they'll turn around and sell it after the show to some fan and like sign it, hang out with them. And they'll sell it for like 3000, 4,000 bucks. And they're selling like 20 of these things on a tour. It's fucking crazy, man. But it's like, you know, nobody's yelling at these dudes calling them sellouts, but I don't know, man. The practical one that I saw was the drummer from Camelot. Instead of shipping his kit over, he purchased a kit. And at the end of the tour, he sold the kit. Uh, instead of shipping it back this is very practical actually (laughs) that is yeah i mean especially if he made his money back and he got a free kid all tour but uh yeah so that stuff's kind of cool man i don't know there's a lot of ways to make money we are probably too lazy about doing the merch thing like we're not doing the big merch hustle only because i feel bad like i don't know i don't want to treat my fans like a piggy bank like i think of our fans as like friends you know i think i'm like an extension of the band i don't want to like every other week try to bulk them for like 40 bucks for a t-shirt i don't know uh maybe we'll get there maybe we won't but yeah i don't know with our with our fans still being like the small kind of intimate circle of people that we yeah. actually know it's i don't know i can't get that's on what that. i think is the difference like when you get a bigger fan base then you can focus more on the merch thing it's almost like you can't do one without the other because once you have a larger fan base then you aren't tapping the same people every time you know different people are responding each time 
Yeah. And I think it's, there's something to be said too, with like putting a face to a name. You know, if you're just like selling t-shirts through a website to like nameless, faceless people, I think it's a lot different than like constantly, you know, we've got a lot of fans, you know, don't get me wrong, but like, I know who like most of, you know, I don't know, say we got 10, 15,000 fans, something like that. Like I could pick out most of them in a crowd by name, you know, that that's not that many people to keep track of, you know, but when, yeah, when you got a fan base of a million people, it's a hell of a lot different to just like throw a $40 t-shirt online and sell the hell out of it, you know? I don't know. I, I, different feelings, but yeah, it's like, no, your fans shouldn't be treated like a piggy bank either. I think. Absolutely agree. I think that's a good place to wrap things up for tonight. Thank you, Justin, again for coming on. Absolutely. And, uh, sharing your ranting and wisdom with us. Yeah, this was just the most random conversation we've ever had on here. <laughs> pretty fun, though. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, I had a good time. And everyone listening, if you're still here, thanks for listening. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music.